Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Baylife Church Port Stephen. We hope you find this message challenges and inspires you in your daily Christian walk. For more information, visit www.baylifechurch.org.au. bunch of uh, people here on the coast isn't there it's nice up here it's uh, good weather it was until this morning when I started going to talk um, I'm just going to have a bottle of water open because I tend to drink a little bit when I uh, it is water trust me <laughs> well I um I was encouraged this morning I look around there's a lot of young people here which is fantastic that's a sign of a really healthy church and there's uh, some distinguished people I like how you call distinguished that was nice I saw older people distinguished but I the drummer, how good was he, man? That was like fantastic, man. He was uh, so good. It was, yeah. I'm reading a book at the moment. It's called Point Man. And there's a, there's a, a uh, just a little part in it yesterday which I put on Facebook. And it's just that um, God can only use a young boy to become a man of God. So, and it was just, I was just thinking about how, how our young men, I've got two young boys here as well, and how and there's lots of youth here. You know, young guys are so important in the in the future. Of uh, I mean, girls have a role to play. So don't get me wrong; I'm not being sexist, but I'm just saying, for to lead a family, they've got to grow up from young boys into into young men, and then and it's a, men that are going to lead their family well. And it's great to see young men in church. And uh, good on you, man! You're doing a great job. Fantastic. So, yeah, I love love the passion of the youth pastor, and to see the young guys coming down and clapping and, and cheering and, and encouraging. It's fantastic. So. That's obviously a testament to, to Greg and Robbie and, and the fantastic job they're doing here in, at Bay Life Church. So awesome, man. Really good. I love, um, I heard Robbie and uh, Greg tell me once what, how this church started and what they went through and, and their heart for it. And for me, it was always stood out to me to go, wow, their passion. Thanks, bro. That's cool. <laughs> their, their, passion, their passion for the church started way, way, way back when when some of you may not have been here, but their heart, and they just gave up everything to make this church happen because God called them here. And I just thought, one of you fellas is fantastic, so amazing. So I just want to um, start off by sharing a little bit about the last 10 years of my life. So I, um, I'm self-employed. I have three Optus stores um, in Cessnock, Singleton and Musselbrook. Um, we have a great business which allows me to get out and do this and, and uh, do things throughout the week and all that. And it just frees me up and it's fantastic being self-employed. But that's... Um, now, it's all glory to God. It's nothing that we do. We just, uh, you know, it's a Christian company. It's Network Communications. I'm not sure if you've heard of them. You, you have one here at Salamander Bay. So if you get a chance, um, you buy your phones there. It's, uh, and all the money from that business goes back in. Everything that gets spent in that store goes back to a, um, in, in what they call the Mercy Fund, and it goes to different charities around the world. So it's a great company to be a part of. And, um, you know, it's just amazing how that, that come about, but I won't share that today. It's a big story, so I've got so much to talk about today. Um, and... As Greg said, we were pastoring church for two years back in Cessnock and um, we just stood down from that in March and I really felt just to share my testimony more and more and that's why we you know, really felt God called us to do that. And He's given me a, a wild story and, it's a <laughs> and it was a wild ride and, um, and, I'm, and I wouldn't change a bit of it. So everything I've been through I wouldn't change because it's, um, God's made me who I am today and, and uh, hopefully, um, is that all right, who I am now? Is that okay? Yeah, that's all right. <laughs> But prior to that, uh, the last 10 years, was a lot different. I didn't have a relationship with God at all. Um, my wife did. She was brought up in a Christian home. And, uh, and when we met, 
I took away from that because I didn't want to be a part of that. So I took Jodie out of church and out of the relationship with God. So, um, but when I was very young, I would have been a twelvey. Is that cool to say that twelvey? Is that it's pretty cool? Uh, <laughs> 12ies are cool, I heard. And, uh, <coughs> not according to my daughter, who's 14. They're not cool. So, <laughs> 15. Sorry, sorry. Darling. I'll bring it down a little. Bit. Sorry, she's she's she said, don't embarrass her. Okay. So, <laughs> nearly 16, aren't you, so. But um, when I was uh, when I was very young, I, I got invited to church. My whole family went along, and you know, neighbours invited us along. It was, uh, and I was like, what are we doing in church? This is going to be terrible. And um. And it was a Pentecostal church, and we got in. There was a right at the end of the service was an altar call, and um, I hadn't really listened too much up until that point. Well, I didn't think I had. And uh, there was an invitation to come down the front and make a make a you know, make a declaration about Jesus Christ being your Lord and Savior. And for some reason, I don't know why, I got out of my chair and walked down the front, and I made a commitment that day. And somehow, and it freaked me and the pastor out. I started speaking in tongues. So, and the pastor's like, his eyes were like that. Oh, what's going on? And um, and I didn't know what had happened. And uh, after that, I never went back because it freaked me out. <laughs> and no one spoke to me about it. No one discipled me. No one said, oh, you've got to read this book that's called the Bible. Or no one sat down and had a conversation with me. You know. And so, really, from that point on, my life turned around in a terrible way. It just went bad. It's horrible. It's the worst decision I made <laughs> in all my life. <laughs> How's that for a sermon? <laughs> um, but it was crazy, you know. I, I made that decision and, and really my life just changed. You know, it talks in the Bible, when you make a decision like that, then you have to fill it. Or the others, you know, or so I guess Satan and his ways will come back in 70 times, you know. So you've got a decision when you make it. When you make a decision for Christ, you've got, you've got to do something about it. So you've got to fill it with the Word. You've got to fill it with His love. You've got to get around people. You've got to be encouraged. You've got to be discipled all those things, and it's very important for young people to have that, and for us old folk as well to have that. But when you're young, you're so impressionable that you just, if you open up that, if you open that gate up, you've got to fill it with something. And I can encourage you, if you make the decision today, make sure that you get around someone. Make sure you grab a Bible. Make sure that uh, you connect with someone in the church here today and, and uh, let them lead you down a path which is right. <laughs> you know, because uh, my life turned... Terrible. It's uh, pretty much from that day on. I started uh, taking stuff that wasn't mine. I started getting mixed up with girls that, and doing things I shouldn't have been doing at age. And um, I didn't know why. My parents were baffled. I mean, my, my dad was a cop for 12 years. He was running a security company at the time, so I was uh, making things quite hard for him. You know. Um, <laughs> It's not a, not a good look, you know. So it was, I was a terrible kid <laughs> from that point onwards. And um, for, so for me, I'm passionate about evangelism, but I'm passionate about getting people connected into the local church so <laughs> because it's where you're going to grow. It's where you're going to, you know, you get discipled well, you grow up well, and um, you don't end up going down the path I went down. From that point on, and as I said, things got worse. I, you know, I connected with a, uh, a girl and we... Uh, you know, I thought, that this is a girl I'm going to marry. We're doing stuff that we should do when we're married. Um, next thing you know, we're, I'm, I'm 17 and you know, my, my girl at the time was pregnant. And I go, what do we do? Sort of, I'm not sure what to do here. I, was, I just turned 18 actually. So. And, um, and so we, we thought, oh, we need to get married. So got married when I was 18. Had another baby. So we had two kids. And I, my dad was a really hard worker. 
So he was uh, never home really, you know, from at that point in my life. And he was just, um, he was doing what he thought was right and just providing for family. He was a great dad. So never was abusive, all those things, nothing like that. But he was just, he was a hard worker. So I thought, right, I'm married. I need to work hard. So I got, uh, got myself two or three jobs and I was never home. I was always working, 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 providing for my family. One day I come home, I'm trying to get this first part out because there's a lot to sort of fill in, but I come home and uh, my house was empty. So my wife was gone, kids were gone, all my furniture was gone, there was a couple of bits and pieces laying around that were no good, she didn't want. So <laughs> That was a terrible time, you know. Was, that was really hard to come home to an empty house and your kids are who knows where, with who knows, doing what. I don't, I don't, it was stressful and I... I uh, First thing I did was ring mum. I was like, mum. And she's like, good, I'm glad it's over and done with. I was like, oh, maybe not. You could have said something a bit better than that. <laughs> Very encouraging, my mum. She'll just tell you as it is. So. <laughs> she thought it was uh, the worst decision I ever made anyway to get married and all those things. But um, <laughs> she was like, oh, that's good, it's over and done with. So just you know, go back to work and, and uh, just try and forget about it. So I was like, well, that's not really the best thing to do. So I tried for a few weeks or even up to a month just to try and find where they were. They didn't want to be contacted. She kept, uh, the ex-wife kept disappearing and just made it terribly difficult to get in contact with them. So I tried and tried and tried. And I uh, ended up just doing what mum said and just pretty much gave up. I thought I... And just uh, really just left it. I said, Look, hopefully one day they'll get in contact with me. Um, so I... I uh, got myself a new girlfriend and I thought I'd travel, <laughs> travel around Australia as young guys do. I'm just going to start travelling. So I bought a four-wheel drive and a camper trailer and uh, travelled from Singleton a few, over about a week and I got to Port Macquarie and um, started working in a nightclub up there. And um, you know, still thinking about where my kids were and what they were up to. Um, and I started working in a nightclub and I saw this girl when I... Because you know, the girlfriend I had at the time was just sort of just fleeting this girl and I saw this other girl in the nightclub one night I thought oh she looks really something about it was just different that was my wife now and I, just, I didn't know what it was I just thought oh, there's something about this girl it's amazing and um and I sort of got someone to speak to her and then uh I got rid of that one and I said to James oh, I want you to be <laughs> and um and the first time we sat down I said look I've got to tell you something I've got a couple of kids and that's my baggage and that they're going to be there and I want to see them one day that I, that's important to me and um Turns out that you know, I found out that Jodie, there's something different about her, was that she knew who God was. She knew Jesus Christ. And that's what I liked about it. But the funny thing was that I took her away from that. I thought, why, why, do, you, why do we do that? I don't know why we do that. It's strange. But, um, so I thought, oh, this is who we are. We, we just connected really well. And it's just, um, Jodie wasn't judgmental about my past and all that. So that's really cool, you know. And I just needed something different that this, she was a keeper. And she's not, this is a girl I want to spend the rest of my life with. And, and um, next thing you know, we're married and we have Madison into the family. And we said, okay, let's find the boys. Let's find out where our boys are. And by now they were about six, about six, six and seven. So um, we went through a lot of stuff to get in contact with them. We had solicitors serve papers. We had, um, you know, different different you know, organisations are dealing with serve papers on them and we finally got through Centrelink and uh, had some papers um, served on my ex so we could get some custody. So found out she was in Melbourne. It would take, to get the family court down there, I had to go quite a few times to, just to get to the point where we could have um, supervised access with my boys because it had been a while and um, my wife was saying all sorts of funny stuff. So 
Um, so we, I'd travel 12 hours to, to Melbourne, go to family court all day, then drive home that night and get back to work. And um, that went on a few times. And then finally we got supervised access. At, and we had supervised access for a few times with the boys. And so I had to have someone walk alongside me while I spoke to my kids for an hour and a half and then drove all the way back to Port Macquarie from Melbourne again. Um, then I got weekend visits, which was great. Yeah, I got to see my boys. I took a couple of bikes down and brought in some presents and all that sort of stuff. It was getting close to Christmas. Was, I was just excited. You know, I got to spend some quality time with my kids this weekend. Did that. It was fantastic. Went home. It was only four weeks and the next supervised visit was coming up. Rung up to organise it and, uh, and they were gone again. So they'd taken off back to Queensland or somewhere. They'd moved and the house was empty and it all felt like it was just all too much. Um, next thing I know, I get a call from criminal investigation unit in Melbourne to say that certain allegations were made against me on the weekend that I had my kids. So, so I had to drive to Melbourne and sit through an hour interview asking me all the questions about what happened that weekend and what I did with my kids and what, what time we spent and when we went to the bathroom and who was there and who wasn't there and all those sorts of things. And Again, that was probably one of the hardest things I've ever had to sit through in all my life. So it was um, to, to be accused of something like that when you've spent all that time trying to just see them. So. I feel like, what next? I've been through so much. Why? Why, you know? And it was, um, and to find out what my kids had been through and what they'd been happening to them. Police officer turned off the uh, the interview. He said, "Look, I, I've had to do that protocol, but kind of let you know right now that the stepfather will be going to see him this after he will be charged with with um, molesting my kids." So. And um, and it's sort of a, he went on to explain everything that they had evidence-wise, and you know, to know that. It's hard, you know, you blame yourself to say, wow, if, if I had to have been home instead of working three jobs, maybe my kids wouldn't have been abused the way they were. Beaten, bashed, raped, all the things that those kids went through. I think, wow, you, you, blame, you blame yourself for that. So I went home and I was, I was at the time, I was, I was hanging out with a local biker club. I used to run their music for them at their clubhouse and different things. And I went home and saw a sergeant of arms and said, this is what's happened to my son. He said, Cool. Do you want him taken care of? I said, that'd be great. So, so I, I pretty much, <laughs> that's my frame of mind, man. My kids have just been, you know, I was like, that's it, let's do it. So he said, yeah, should, yeah within a week, so give me the address. So I got him the address and, um, and then I had a call from De- um, Department of Human Services in Melbourne to say that um, he was about to be charged, but he'd end up committing suicide instead in the family home. So it's funny how God steps in in circumstances, isn't it? <laughs> You know, I can say that from knowing what the steps were going to happen. If it had happened, I would have spent 25 years in jail, probably, you know, for conspiracy or something. But it was just your frame of mind, just going, I want to protect my kids. I don't want to go through that anymore. Everything they've been through. And it was my fault. I felt like it was my fault. Straight away, um, you know, my ex said, oh, everything we said was a lie. And um, I want him to take now take the kids because I can't handle them by myself. I was like... <laughs> Could have said that before. Would have been nice, um, you know. And so we we took Anthony on a six-month uh, temporary order just to see how he we went with with my oldest boy and my youngest son Matthew. He, he didn't want to come. He said, "Look, I'm in foster care at the moment. I like these people. Don't really know you. You left. We left when you were, I was only sort of eight months old. So, he, but Anthony, mean we sort of had a bit more time together, and he was he was really keen to come and live with us, uh, which is great. But this is what I've been trying to do. Got my, got my son. Got him back to Port Macquarie and realised the extent of stuff he'd been through. So we put him in counselling to work through all the sexual abuse he'd been through. 
we had an operation on his eyes because he'd been beaten so bad his muscles had stretched and his eyes were facing different directions and put him in special school to get him education and all those sorts of things and the trouble was he'd been abused so badly that he um some of those behaviors were coming back and that they were coming out of of my son and that was distressful so jody came to me one day and said look you're at work but i'm at home with him and we now have a daughter in the house and it can't can't stay like this so it's got to change so it's either him or us yeah, which is the right decision to make for my family now. But at the time, it was, uh, imagine how hard that is, <laughs> all that. And say, so, no, it's him or us. I was like, oh, man, oh, I can't go through this again. But I knew it was the right thing to do, as hard as it was. And so I, uh, sorry, it's moving. I called up his grandmother, so my wife's mother in Queensland, and said, can you take Anthony? And so she agreed. I drove to, I drove to Brisbane, put him on air on a plane to Thunderbird. He got there and just started pretty much smashing the house and running away and making a mess. You know, do you know why he did that? Because he just felt unloved. He felt unwanted. You know, no one wanted him. He was just too much trouble. So his thing was just smash things, wreck the place. No one, will, no one will want me here either, and I can go somewhere else. It's the usual pattern. So. Docs called me up, I went and picked him up, brought him back down here. Mum and Dad took him, because Dad was a cop for 12 years, he'll be able to sort him out. To give Dad a bit of a hiding one day and give him a black eye, smash some windows, kept running away, same thing. So we ended up putting him in a ward of the state in an institution in Newcastle called Nexus Unit, and he was um, taken as a ward of the state and, uh, to be able to deal with his behaviours. That part of my life was another turning point where I had to choose how to deal with this. Everything I've been through, how do I deal with this stuff? And at the time, I was working in a nightclub. I was behind the bar and doing security. Um, did it both. And it was a good opportunity to take my frustrations out on patrons in the night time. So <laughs> anyone who ticked me off, pretty much I got a punch in the face and dragged out and, and uh, messed up. So it's just, that's not how you deal with life. But for me, I was like, how do I deal with this frustration at home? I want my family life to be good, but I go to work and I was just a mess. And the guys at work say, man, you got to calm down, mate. You're going to kill someone. You know, I was putting people to sleep and it was just crazy. And, um, and they said, you know, they kept saying, just have a bit of this stuff, you know. It'll fix you up. It'll help you get through the night. I was like, I don't want any, man. It took me ages. I was like, no, 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 no. Then one night I just had enough and I just said, man, give me some of that. So I took a gram of speed and, um, and it just helped me get through the night. I thought, oh, this, this is actually okay. I think I can cope with this. Uh, you know, and then uh, that was every night I'd work. I'd take, start taking this stuff and I thought, oh, someone's going to find out if I'm spending this money. And then, then one night I was at a party and, um, and they said, oh, hey, take an ecstasy tablet, you know, because we're out partying now. It's different, man. This would be good. They said, no, I don't want to be, I'm not a junkie. I'll just take speed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. It's funny how we justify things, isn't it? Oh, I'm not an alcoholic. I just drink every day. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm not. I'm not like a drug addict. I just smoke pot, man, once a week. You know, it's all good. You know, I, how we justify things in our mind is so abstract the way we should. <laughs> and I was like, no, I'm taking it, man. I'm not a junkie. I just take a bit of speed. It's all good, just for work purposes, you know, medicinal purposes, that they say. I was like, <laughs> take a bit of speed, everything again. And then hassled me so bad. I was like, right, just man, give me half a tablet, eh? So I took the half. I was like wow, life's so good, I'll give me another one. I took the other half and then next thing you know, 
Um, I was taking 13 ecstasy tablets a night. So, yeah, it just, um, just spiraled out of control. Do you know how much money that is? 50 bucks a tablet. And so I, I needed to find an outlet. So I, I thought, I've, I've got to find cash from somewhere. So obviously the perfect opportunity. I work in a nightclub. So, so I started uh, seeing my friends from the local motorcycle club. We got some stuff and I started selling it. So, and um, Jody knew none of this. So Jody worked during the day. I'd go to work at night time. I'd come home, somehow get two or three hours sleep and look after Maddie when she wasn't at school during the day. And uh, after all of those big nights, I don't know how it happened, just by the grace of God that nothing bad happened during that time. I'm, during, uh, I'm trying to do drug deals and Jody's got Hillsong playing in church at, at home. I was like, what are you? <laughs> Turn that stuff off. <laughs> Doing my head in. <laughs> and I'll, I'm just going to show you a video on a tick and how that all panned out for me and how things uh, turned around, you know. Just one, I had, when all that happened and I had to make that decision about where my son was going to go and, um, and what did that look like, I had a decision to either look for something good that can help me through this, either counselling or friends or some support services or you know, church would have been a really good option um, or, or just, just try and push it back in your mind and say, oh, I'm, just, I'm not going to deal with this right now. I just want it out of reality and that's what I did. Who's ever done that? Just push things back and not dealt with them. Do you know, do you know they'll? Uh, then you can't just push that stuff down and forget about it. No matter what it is, it's always going to come back somewhere, somehow in your life. You know, it, it just has has a way of sneaking back up on you at some stage, either through you or through your kids, or you know, stuff's got to be dealt with. And um, this is how this is actual police footage on how my. Uh, new entrepreneurial skills went with uh, dealing in drugs. So this is from uh, Australian Christian Channel, an interview I did a few years ago. Uh, I can lip sync. This was the last, what I thought was going to, who knows, it may not have been, but I thought it was going to be the last big deal, you know. I, um, I was going to earn around, I think it was about $7,500 clear from this deal. Um, the whole the whole deal was going to be worth around you know thirty six to I think forty thousand dollars something like that, and and I fi- I figured that that would be my house deposit and that would be the end of it you know me being me I thought that was going to be it I'd made my mind up so um, that morning I basically you know we had a guy bring all the stuff back from Sydney and I packed it all up ready to go and I drove up to Kempsey and yeah it, it didn't go how I thought it was going to go. Going through your mind when you heard all the noise of the police approaching the car. I couldn't believe what I was hearing. I, yeah, I thought I, was, I thought this is bad. You know, that's the first thing that went through my mind is I'm going to die. That's what I thought. I, was, I thought, actually thought I was going to die. My body thought I was going to die because I actually I actually wet my pants. I was that yeah. scared. It was just terrifying. It's just horrible. I, I, 
I looked around and there was three three men with armed weapons on my left. And there was three guys on the right hand side of the vehicle, all with automatic weapons, and it was just just terrifying. I didn't I didn't know what was going to happen. And they basically told me to, to get out of the car, the hands up, lay down the ground, and um, yeah, I just didn't know what to do. I was just it was terrifying, absolutely terrifying. I, I couldn't wish that on anyone. I just want you to fully understand that you're not obliged to say anything, you're not obliged to do anything, you need to say. Did you have thoughts of, at that point, you know, the realisation of what you'd been doing come to you or did it take a little while to realise that you were in a bad place? It still took a little while after that. Yeah. I, probably, I probably, even until I got back to the, our place when they were um, wanting to do the search, I think when I seen Jodie, that's when it really hit me hard. That's what it, yeah, it's really over. Right. Everything's just gone really bad. Yeah. When I was under arrest, I probably thought, when, when they arrested me and they sat me in the car and I started to calm down and drive myself off a little bit. <laughs> I, I really, um, I started thinking, well, okay, it's probably not as bad as, you know, yeah, it'll be right. Oh, I was always that sort of person, should be right, it's all good, no problem, should be right. After I got over the initial shock that was, but yeah, yeah, no, I thought, yeah, pretty much it was going to be okay till I saw Jodie yeah. and her tears and that was it for me. They, they took me back to the house to, um, basically, they were going to do a search of the house, so they'd arrested me, they'd taken me by car, back to my premises and, and they, they, they called Jodie and asked if she could come back to the house without, without Madison. So she dropped Madison off at my mother-in-law's place and when she turned up, I, yeah, I just looked at her face. I knew that, you know, I'd, I'd really, what I thought was, I'd really wrecked her life. She'd, you know, she'd grown up as a Christian and, and I'd pulled her out of that lifestyle into a lifestyle that I was leading at the time. And even though she'd grown up all her life as a Christian, brought up a family, her mum's a strong Christian. Um, just from my actions, I'd brought her into a life that she really never sh had no right to be in. And, and I, I just felt gutted for what I'd put her through. Yeah. And when they said to her that she was under arrest you know, as well, because she knew by that time you know, what I was doing. Yeah. yeah, so she was under arrest for, for, for knowingly take part in the commercial supply you know, prohibited drugs. So. Yeah, pretty powerful video, isn't it? You know, it was, a, it was a terrifying experience to go through that. As I said earlier, I wouldn't change that for anything. <laughs> it's made me who I am today, which is a guy that's passionate after God. And, um, you know, my wife does have a criminal record now because of me. You know, and she had an associate diploma in social, in social studies, can't work with, uh, in, the, in the field that she studied for and can't, you know, her dream was to be a police officer. She can't, obviously can't do that. And that, that became about because I said one day someone came to the house and she goes, no, no, I can get it, I can get it. And it was just that one time. But, and then so we had to explain everything that happened and sort of Jodie found out what was going on. And it was uh, funny how we can manip manipulate people. There's no way when I first met Jodie I would have said, oh, I'm a drug dealer, do you want to come and uh, marry me? <laughs> you know, but after time I was about manipulated to believe that it was a good thing. When I, uh, when I got arrested, I, it was, yeah, it was terrifying, it was scary. We got put in cells with uh, lots of uh, interesting looking people and um, there was some wild stuff going on in those cells and I was in there for a few days, no bail, 
charges were too high. Um, about the third day, had a um, prison officer underneath Newcastle Police Station come down and say, oh, <coughs> called me out and took me up to the office and said, oh, do you want to call home? And I was like, yeah, that'd be, that'd be great. You know, you always get that one call. You see it on TV, you get your, your one call. So cool. So I called home and uh, Jody was at home and had just been praying with the pastor of the church that she'd gone back to um, to get in contact with me to find out where I was and if I was okay and if I was safe. And just as they're praying, I call on the phone. <laughs> and Jody said, we, we're just, we've just been praying with the pastor of the church to find out where you are, if you're okay. And I was like, oh, really? Uh, like it, I thought, oh, that's a crazy coincidence, isn't it? So, and I um, went back down, they locked me back in the cells and because it was a transit part, there's a lot of guys in there had been around in jail for a lot of years and they said, um, what happened there? I said, oh, I got to call home. They said, you don't get the call out of here, you've got to wait till you get to jail. I said, no, no, I, I, got, I called home. And they thought it was kind of odd. And I, so I started thinking then, I thought, oh, maybe there is something to this God thing. I got to jail and I, and uh, one of the first things I did, so I want to see a chaplain. I want, I want one of those Bibles. So. <laughs> Has anyone tried reading the Bible from the front? Stupid. <laughs> Don't do it. It's just, <laughs> just dumb. <laughs> Too many bagots and all sorts of weird stuff going on back there. I was like, oh, I didn't know. I was, I was like, this is not making sense. So I got to the jail and the first night was quite interesting because I got in, into the cell and it's a two-out cell which two of you in there and it's no one I knew. And uh, they closed the door and this guy stood up, bald head, tattoos. He's like, you're up there. I was like, oh, okay, no worries. <laughs> I uh, got up on the bed and it's like, oh, something in the mattress. I got off and opened this mattress and put my hand as a stick with a you know, handle on it. He goes, you might need that tomorrow in the yard. I was like, oh, <laughs> 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 oh that's what I called out to Jesus. <laughs> uh, it's, uh, it's amazing, you know, how God works. So I, I went in there and I, the next day I grabbed a Bible, spoke to the chaplain and after a few days, back and forth with him, I'm trying to say, look, I can't read the thing. It makes no sense. I don't, I don't get it. He said, read the story of Nicodemus. And it says, yeah, you know, and I read the story and I said, oh, it makes sense. I've got to be born again. I said, I, I get it now. The old paths, let the old life go and start the new one over here. He said, that's right, that's right. I said, can you make me, make me born again then? <laughs> He's like, dude. <laughs> so he went through all the steps and, the, and I, you know, he made sure that I knew what was going on. He made sure that I understood the whole process. He didn't just say, all right, you're done. Okay, number one, I've got another number on my tick. Off you go. You know, it can be like sometimes, doesn't it, with numbers on salvation calls and things it's numbers and we go tick no one done but yeah he, he discipled me really really well and he made sure i knew what i did and i put my, and i just i just I, mean, I just in that room with him i just prayed and i said Man, jesus i want to hand my life over to you i've had enough of living the way i was living i've had enough of that old life i've had enough of trying to do it myself i just want to i want to do it your way god i want you to rule my life i want you to be my best friend i want you to be my comforter i want you to be everything that i know right now and and he came into me and he made such a difference. You know, the Bible opened up. I was like, wow, I started, I was random. I mean, I'll run a bit. I must have read a hundred books when I was in jail and all Christian books. I was, just couldn't have read this so many times. It was just an amazing time for me. I got, I got, I was locked in my cell 20 hours a day. <laughs> How good's that? Yeah, who gets that out of here, man? You don't get that time to yourself. And I was just reading and I was so hungry, you know, but I got to that jail and I was looked after. God just made sure I didn't, uh, I didn't get hassled. You know, I knew all the main guys that were in there, like all the head, head guys that were in jail, I knew them all. And they're like, yeah, come and roll with us, man, it's cool. So I was like rolling with all the guys who'd been there in you know, jail a long time. They were pretty much running everything. So got the best job. 
got a, you know, the officers were bringing me in cakes and scones, all sorts of stuff. It was awesome, you know, because I was cleaning their offices. It's just, God was just looked after me, you know. It's just favour. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to say when you, when you make a decision for Christ, if you make a decision today that it's all going to be roses, you know, but he gives you what you need. <laughs> Maybe not what you want, but right then I needed reassurance that he was there for me. I needed reassurance that I was going to be safe, that my family was safe. You know, and um, Jodie went back to church and got in a relationship with God and she learnt what it was like to have a relationship because previous to that it was just a knowing who God was. But there's a difference between knowing who God is and having him in your life as a relationship. <laughs> it talks about in the Bible when, when, it, you know, when he returns, there'll be people who say, I don't even know you, man. And there's the, but they may be people who've been in church all their life. Do they really know him? Does Jesus know them? Do they, does he know them? Or do they just know about him? I, I, when I was in jail, I knew that I wanted to be in relationship with him. <laughs> you know, it, it's, uh, it's not what I wanted to happen, but I was in jail. You know, court time come around after 10 months in maximum security uh, for remand. You know, in that 10 months, it was an amazing growing time for me. I thought I'd read so much stuff about who God is, who Jesus is, and studied, 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 and it was an amazing time, you know. I'd be sitting in the middle of the yard, reading my Bible, and some of the guys would be walking past going, F this, F that. Oh, man, sorry, humble. Didn't mean to do that, bro. It's all good, man. It's all right. On your way, bless you. It's all good. <laughs> I was so proud of my faith, you know. I had a cross on my chest. I always had my Bible in my hand. You know, but and um, through that, they put me on as a peer support inmate. I was helping you guys come in all the time, and it's just how God gave me favour because I was bold in the faith. <laughs> but um, I thought, I'm going, to ch- I'm going to court bold. I'm going to court, I'm going to get out. I've been in here 10 months, it's long enough. I'm out of this place. I packed all my stuff up and everyone's going, you're crazy, man. Your char- my charge is held over about 100 years. If you'd put them in, cause I had four or five, 25 year sentences. I you know, had commercial quantity supplies and all sorts of stuff going on. I was like, <laughs> I'm out, went to court. Got, uh, got four years and nine months jail. So I was like, oh, I was shattered. I was shattered. There's a verse I, I held on to when I was going through all that stuff, which is Ephesians 3.20. God is able to do exceedingly and above all, above all that we ask or think. And that was well above what I was going to think. <laughs> but he had a plan, you know. I, I went back and unpacked all my stuff. Everyone's going, <laughs> and, you know, sucked in. I was like, yeah, it's good. Um, but I knew God had something else in store for me. So, you know, I went over to Minimum Security and started a Bible study at the chapel over there. We saw over 30 guys give their life to the Lord when I was in jail. So, you know, and <laughs> it was pretty cool. And we run a Bible study after I got saved with these guys. Once they got saved, they come and did a study, which was He Chose the Nails by Max Licato, and just to get, hopefully, something in there before they, they left. Then we come out and... and uh, Jody had been catching up with these, these couple before I got out of jail and um, they become my weekend leave sponsors. She only just met them through coming in to buy some phone credit. And um, so Jody started doing volunteering in their shop and then when I started doing weekend leave, I started working in there on a Saturday. Then I come out and uh, they got pregnant and said, oh, do you want to buy the shop? So I was like, it's crazy how God, you know, you come out of jail, you shouldn't be able to get a job, let alone walk into being self-employed. It's just God's favour is amazing, so... So I just want to encourage you, a couple of things I'm going over time already, sorry. <laughs> I just want to 
want to encourage you in a few things. One is, when things happen, when life gives you a raw deal, think about how you're going to handle that. What steps am I going to take? Who, who do I have that I can speak to? Who do I have that I can confide in? Who do I have that I can go, no, what's, what's the right step? What, what should I do here? And ask God, most importantly, to help you make those decisions, you know. Because there's some people you just don't want to ask that question to because they're going to say, come and, come and get some drugs, I'll help you out, man. You just forget about it, eh? Let's. And some are going to say, yeah, don't, don't worry about it. Other people are going to say, no, let's sit down and talk about me. I care about you. you know, let, let's, let's work through this. Don't let things go you know, undealt with. Can I encourage you that Jesus is the way, <laughs> the only way. He is the way, the only way. My life wouldn't be where it is today if it wasn't for Jesus. You know, but, and be bold about your faith. If you're here today, who's in your life? Who do you spend time with who doesn't know who Jesus is? Do they even know that you are a Christian? It's a big question. It's not about sometimes the words you say, it's the things you do. So I've got a band to come up. And um, it's not about what you say, it's about the things you do. When was the last time you blessed someone? Uh, come over for dinner, man, I'll put the barbecue on, we'll have a, have a cook up. And men, for me, I learnt that work isn't providing for your family. <laughs> Being a man of the house and a true leader is providing for your family. You've got to provide spiritually, you've got to provide emotionally, you've got to provide financially, yes. But for me, I've learnt, and you may differ, but I think for me, financially is probably third on the ladder for me now these days. So it's making sure that you know, my, my kids are going to go up in church loving God. My two sons now, Anthony, is, uh, he's been through a lot, went right through Alamba Youth Services, which, funny enough, m- most of the people who work at Alamba Youth Services are Christian. That, that company, I speak there now regularly. I spoke there this Thursday, just gone, and um, he's doing great. He's uh, working at uh, Qatar, if you ever see big, tall, awkward guy getting around pushing trolleys, that's my son, he, I can't miss him. He's, he'll, have a, he'll have a chat for hours if you get hold of him. And my other son, come and work with me for a while. He's uh, in the store. And um, he's, he's doing well as well. So, you know, kids are doing great. But <laughs> it's God's, uh, God's looked after everyone. But now's the time I want you to think about you. And I want to think about your relationship with God. Is it a real relationship? Do you know, intimately know who Jesus is? And does he know who you are intimately? So I just want you to close your eyes. I just want you to think about where your relationship is right now with God. Where is it? Maybe you made a decision like I did way back when and you may not have been discipled as well as you could have been or you've been hurt by church because churches will hurt you, man. I just, man. Some churches get you grinding down. But do you know what? It's the people. It's not the church. It's not God's institution that hurts you. It's not God that's hurt you. It's, it's people. And do you know, we need to forgive and move on. Maybe you've uh, you made a decision and go, yeah, I'm, I'm doing okay, you know. I'm, I'm doing all right. But you actually need to trust God in everything maybe you've never heard of the gospel before but can I tell you that Jesus Christ came and he died on a cross before Jesus we had to earn our way to heaven Jesus died on a cross, his hands were nailed to that cross 
and his blood washed away our sins if we accept who he is. So I'm going to ask you a couple of questions today. So for those that are here today while your eyes are closed and you've never ever made a decision to ask Jesus into your heart and this is a decision you need to make from your heart today. You want to take a step forward and know who Jesus is and you want to be saved. You want to go to heaven when you die. This is the first step in doing that and then this church is going to get around you and help you take the next step. So if you're here today for the first time and you want to go, yeah, I want to make a decision for the first time. I want, to, I, want to, I want to put my hand up and say, yeah, that's me. If that's you today, I want you to pop your hand up. Don't be shy. I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want you to make a decision that's going to change your life forever. For the first time. You put your hand up and we're going to see the hand. I'm just going to pray a really quick prayer. Maybe you're here today and you made a decision like I did when it was a while ago. But you're not really in a true relationship with Jesus. And you want to renew that right now. I just want you to pop your hand up as well. I'm just going to pray a prayer with you as well. So I see the hand. That hand is great. Don't miss the opportunity today to restart your relationship with Jesus Christ. This one's for the, the men of the house. If you're, uh, if you're here today, it's going to be a tough one for, for men to put their hand up. If you're here today and you go, well, I could, I could lead my family better. I could let Jesus in more. I could ask for his guidance more. I could spend more time with my family. I, could, I can be who God wants me to be with some mentoring and some help. Let's get around some other guys. If you're here today and that's you, because you know we can always do better, I'm putting my hand up for this one. So I just want you to put your hand up if that's you here today, man. See those hands, it's awesome. It's great. I'm just going to pray a prayer. And If you put your hand up today, you can repeat after me. And even if you didn't, if you want to repeat after me, you can as well. So, Father God, help me. Be my comforter. Be my saviour. Be my guide. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Be my Lord and saviour. Help me to be who you've called me to be. Help me see who that is. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Thanks for your time today, guys. Appreciate it. And I'll hand back over. So. Well, that was great. Thanks so much, Craig. It was awesome, mate. Great to Thanks for listening to the message today brought to you by Baylife Church. We hope the message leaves you feeling challenged and inspired to live out your Christian walk. Please tune in again for next week's message.